Welcome to another episode of Beyond Sermons, where we seek Jesus Christ beyond the pulpit. We're going to continue with our discussion on eternal security, but from a Calvinistic perspective with Jeff Laird. For me, as I was researching this topic, um, I came across the answer as a yes, and at times there was a no. Yeah. Um, I found myself to be somewhat in the Molinist camp. Perhaps you can comment on this as well, too. And basically the question of, could someone lose their salvation as being a yes and a no? I I definitely understand where people are having the struggle. I think there's some legitimacy to that. I think that's a reason that scripture gives us warnings. Uh, I, I do not remember who said it. I know it was a secular scientist, but he said something to the effect of, you know, the important thing is not to be fooled but you have to remember that you are the easiest person to fool. You okay. know, we, can, we have a tendency to believe what we want to believe and go where we want to go. And I think that's why those, those questions are worth, they're worth looking at and they're worth exploring and they're worth getting into. Uh, so I think there's a good reason people struggle with not only asking the question of, am I really saved? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that question applies whether or not a person believes in eternal security i think if a person does the question becomes have i ever actually been truly really saved if a person doesn't it's am i in that state that i'm supposed to be now i think where a lot of common ground comes down is you know we bring up for example the scenario you see a gentleman on his deathbed who spent 40 years serving in church and preaching and for the last five years he's denounced the faith he's lived like the devil He's lied, cheat, stolen, done all these evil, awful things, and he thinks it's great. And mm. now he's lying on his deathbed. If you ask somebody who does believe in eternal security, what's going to happen to this person when they pass? And you ask a person who does not believe in eternal security. You take both sides and ask them, what is this person's eternal fate? Generally, they're going to agree. Yeah. This person's not going to find themselves with God. In other words, the practical outworking really doesn't come up any different. It's just almost a philosophical argument of did he lose something he once had or is he just winding up where he always was? Yeah. Yeah. Now from that, you asking about Molinism? Yeah. Molinism. Right. Yes. Do you want to define that for the uh, audience, the listeners? Yeah. Actually, in my case, I'm comfortable with that. I, I identify with, with Molinism. I, I appreciate that. The, 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 in really overly simple terms, Calvinism says, God is sovereign, and Arminianism says man has free will, and Molinism says yes. In other words, Molinism <laughs> accepts both of those. Okay. But yes, God is entirely sovereign, and God is ultimately the one in charge of who does and doesn't come to faith. However, Molinism believes that the way in which God leads people to faith is done in such a way that it does not interfere with your free will in any sense. Mm. whatsoever. And the way he does that effectively is God says, I know exactly how you're going to respond to any possible situation I put you in. I know what you will do according to your free will. So I'm going to create a world where you are going to make the free will decision that I want you to make. It's still our choice, but it's still his sovereignty. I think when it comes to once saved, always saved, I don't know that there's a, I don't know that there's a tremendous impact for Molinism on whether or not once saved, always saved is True. You could almost argue that from a Molinist perspective, that it doesn't really mean anything. 
Yeah. From God's perspective. In other words, God knew from the beginning of creation right. where we were going to wind up. Right. Um, so, for, again, you talked about temporal. The whole once saved, always saved is very much a temporal question. Is yeah. there a moment where I reach a point of no return? Right. Or is there not? A Molinist, to some extent, I guess, could say, ah, once saved, always saved doesn't really apply from God's perspective. But you can still apply those same two ideas. In other words, does my free will at some point lead me to a point where I've made a choice that can no longer be undone? Yeah. Uh, uh, that's my take on it as a Molinist is that, yes, I still have free will, but God is giving me free will that leads me to a point where I make an irrevocable decision. Now, could you share with us like maybe a parable or an analogy that highlights the essence of Molinism, which happens to be middle knowledge? What's that all about? Right. How can somebody one- grasp that? Uh, maybe one way to grasp it would be if you are outside in your garden and you have a hose mm-hmm. and the water is streaming out of the hose in a particular arc, you put your thumb on that and you can make the shape of that change yeah. and move around. Now, from the moment that water moves away from your finger, everything that is happening to that is just physics. Yeah, You're not reaching out with your other hand and slapping the water around. Yeah, that's a bit of an analogy for the way Molinism would perceive God's creation. God knows if I put my thumb in this position or this pressure or this thing, this is how it's going to change. He knows every single possible way that that could happen. And what he does is he chooses to create in such a way that what physics does from that point forward is what it does. Right. The same thing with our reaction to God. God can see exactly how every single person would respond in every scenario. He creates one of those possible situations. He creates the one situation that he wants. But after that, he's allowing your free will to go. In other words, your free will is still operating, just like physics is still working on the stream of water. Mm -hmm. I'm choosing how the water flows in the sense that I created the conditions that I knew would create that arc, but that water is still following its natural or quote-unquote free will after that point. Right. I've also heard people equate Molinism to like a video game player or gamer with an actual video game. You know, I watch on Twitch and see how they're playing various types of civilization games and how they're controlling all the characters, controlling this region versus that region, enacting war, perhaps enacting peace, reproducing. Right. You know, you have the Sims. You know, there's just such a category of simulated humanity. Right. You know, it almost... So that's how I've seen uh, other people express Molinism as basically playing a pseudo-god, which I use very uh, conservatively and right. carefully. <laughs> it's just an analogy. It's yeah, just an analogy. it's just actually, an analogy. I think pop culture gave us, it's a very rough analogy, but pop culture actually gave us a very, very good uh, fortune cookie version of Molinism. Okay. Uh, in Avengers Infinity War. Okay. There's a scene in Avengers Infinity War where Doctor Strange is using the time stone. Mm-hmm. And he looks all bizarre. He's shaking around and they say, what are you doing? And he's saying, I'm looking at all of the possible outcomes 
Right. And I looked at 14 million, 600 different outcomes. Yeah. And then they say, well, did we win in any of them? And he says, just one. Well, what does Dr. Strange do after that? Yeah. He lets star Lord do something stupid and stop them from getting the gauntlet <laughs> away from Thanos. And then he hands over the time stone yeah. to Thanos and people go, why in the world would you do that? Well, right. that's a little bit of a microcosm of Molinism. Yeah. Strange goes, here are all the possible ways that this could factor in. There's one way that we win. And then in an end game, when he sees Tony Stark, he holds up one finger. Yeah. Like there's only one way that this is going to be resolved. That's sort of like a, now granted, God knows more about the universe than Dr. Strange does, but you get the idea that <laughs> right. it's about seeing, you know, Strange didn't interfere with anybody's free will. He didn't make anybody do anything. But in a sense, Dr. Strange picked which one of those 14 million options was going to be the one that happened. Yeah. So there's sort of that like pop culture encapsulation of Molinism there in that scene. Yeah. You know what? This sparked another question because you made a couple of references to Adam and Eve. Um, they ate from the uh, they ate the forbidden fruit. Um, yeah. Can you remind us uh, what tree they ate the forbidden fruit from? It just says that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, and I'm just seeing how that has perpetuated throughout the years, where we're still trying to be God from time to time. Uh, at least the temptation is there. Let me let me say that, and I I don't want to imply anything for you or any individual, but I see it out there yeah. in society where people will try and play God, um, and basically by how they quote unquote try and juggle knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to make sure. Explain to people that believing. Pursuing understanding of eternal security is not us. It's not just a simulation of us juggling the knowledge of good and evil in a very bad way. Does that make sense? I think so. I don't, I don't, I don't think that the issue with Adam and Eve and the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, I've, I am not an expert in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. I don't have a really deep knowledge of the subject, but I've heard people suggest that the 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 discussion of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil um you know later on he just refers to it as the tree in the garden right now that when it's referred to as knowledge of good and evil that part of what that's implying is experience of good and evil right uh god put adam in the garden he said he wanted him to tend to it he said be fruitful multiply subdue the earth Mm -hmm. well that means that adam and eve have the ability to make decisions Right. They have intellect. They know how to reason. They know how to say this is good and this is not right. good. So I think that when we actually look at truth and say, I want to understand truth better, I want to dig deeper into it and know what's right and what's wrong. I don't think there's anything about that that conflicts with that. I think where it's a problem is where God says, either this is something that I don't want you to experience, mm-hmm. or this is something I don't want you to do. Or he basically says, this is knowledge and information that I don't want you to have for yeah. whatever reason. We as parents do that with our children yeah. all the time. There's times where I'll tell my children things like, you know, you need to cover certain parts of your body mm-hmm. when you're out in public. I don't right. need to explain to a three-year-old every single detail right. of, I can't get into things like sexuality and pedophilia and right. pornography. 
Right. You know, not because those things don't exist, but because I that's more trauma for the kid than is necessary. Yeah, they're just not ready to understand. Precisely. I think it's yeah. legitimate for us to say there are some things that God just says, look, right. I'm going to give you the basic idea and you're going to have to trust me after that. Right. Right. I mean, I think that's how the book of John, the gospel, uh, closes out as well, too, uh, where G- where John um, expresses that there's so many other miracles, so many other right, things right. that it would just be impossible to fit everything into the written word. Right. Right. Yeah. I, as, as a as a as a parallel example, that Bible ref. Dot com is the is the the primary thing I do with God questions in terms of our Bible commentary. Mm-hmm. You know, Scripture is thirty six thousand some odd verses, give or take. You know, you can sit down and read the entire Bible in a day or two hours if you did nothing but yeah that. You know, I, I don't mean to flex. By the way, I think it's one hundred and thirty one thousand one hundred and two <laughs> plus or minus a hundred. Are two words depending on the translation, and I think yeah. Mark sixteen. <laughs> yeah, there. Well, there you go. All well, that that yeah. hundred and thirty thousand. That's a good. That's a good. Yeah. Uh, uh, temperature check. Yeah. Because right now we're only twenty five percent of the way done with writing our Bible commentary, nice. and we're already at something like four and a half million words. Oh wow! So when yeah, when John says that all the books couldn't contain, yeah, it's the Bible's easy to read, not necessarily easy to explain. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. Definitely. I mean, we, this podcast can last for a long time. And I, I will just want to say that we only hit the tip of the iceberg when it comes to eternal security, but it's a very worthy topic that's been uh, discussed, perhaps debated um, yeah. from my understanding for hundreds of years. I so, think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to actually share one more verse, sort of from the Molinist um, perspective. And this verse is Matthew 24, verses 21 through 24. And I will admit, this is one of the first few times where I read Matthew for any sort of apocalyptic um, perspective. Right. So here it says, for then there will be great tribulations such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. Now, this scripture passage jumps out at me because I see the duality, or at least I'm um, garnering the duality of it where where there's essence of losing salvation, but essence of not losing salvation by design of God. Possibly. That's what I'm gathering from this but i'd like for you to share your perspective on this Uh, yeah there's there's a couple ways that you can that you can get into it i think the main gist of what jesus is saying is basically saying if somebody tells you hey did you know jesus christ came back you don't have to believe it because when it happens you're gonna know everybody's gonna know you know when that actually happens it's not gonna be subtle it's Mm. not gonna be something that you're gonna miss you know when it comes to things like deceiving if possible even the elect, 
uh, there's two ways to look at that. One way is that Jesus is actually saying, if possible, you know, which we sometimes say, you know, we use that as a reference of implying that it's not. Mm-hmm. It's like me saying, well, you know, if if I could just teleport myself there, then I would do this. Well, I, obviously I can't do that. I'm just making a point that, well, if I could, I would. You know, so this could be Jesus just saying, if it was possible, this stuff is going to be so persuasive that it would even convince the elect. Uh, I mean, the other way to look at it is is that he's he's mentioning the idea of this this confusion that that even saved believers really can be led astray and make mistakes. You know, we talked about doctrinal perfection is not something we can expect because we're not perfect people. You know, it's not completely impossible to believe that legitimately saved believers are going to get caught up in some of these uh, changes that herald the very end times, that yes. they're going to make decisions that are more cultural and preferential than they are scriptural. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're not saved, but it does mean that they're being deceived. For me, it's such a teaser, though. Why yeah. even include, if possible, even the elect? I just, yeah. I, you know what I mean? It just seems so significant to me. Yeah. I'll, can Before we go too deep into that, it mentions the elect. Who yeah. is the elect? In that context, the elect are the people who have been selected by God for salvation. And that's where our whole Calvinism, Molinism, Armenianism kind of thing pops up. Uh, usually when it's talking about the elect, it's talking about those people who have been selected by God for salvation. Yeah. I've always wanted to ask a Molinist a particular question. And uh, that question has to do, what's the difference? Is there a difference between sin and iniquity? Sin and iniquity? Any any two different words are used for two different reasons. So, I mean, I guess a person could use them in in a different sense. I would say that you could say, like a Venn diagram, there's a gigantic circle called sin. Yeah. And inside of that is a smaller circle called iniquity. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess you could expand iniquity to the point that it takes over the whole thing, but I wouldn't object if somebody parsed the difference between, in other words, all iniquity is sin, but I could imagine somebody saying, yes, there are some sins that are not iniquity. We would just so, have to know how are, you, how are you defining it? Yeah. So I haven't fully settled on this comparison, but I see iniquity as like an acceptance of sin. The ability to, or the decision to justify sin to a holy God. All right. Basically, almost like, God, I'd like to update your definition on what separates me from you. Right. You know what I mean? And this is still exploratory in my heart. How does embracing internal security um, empower your ministry and ability to share the gospel? I think eternal security, if it's properly understood, frees you to serve God the way God wants you to serve him. Because instead of constantly looking over my shoulder and saying, yeah, but if I do that, am I going to go to hell? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, have I done enough good? Have I put enough coins in my piggy bank? I can say, look, God wants me to focus on positively approaching the things he wants me to to say and to do. And instead of being constantly racked with paranoia or guilt or grief 
mm-hmm. or you know second guessing and things like that i can say look i know that i sinned i know that when i did that particular thing it was wrong but i also know that christ forgives me i can repent of that i can resolve to not do it insofar as i can but now i can move on and i can yeah serve and do what God wants me to do. And I don't have to say, "Uh uh-oh, this is the 746th time that I've done that. Is that one too many? It it allows me to not be, it's a little bit like having a lifeline when you're climbing a mountain. Mm -hmm. Uh, And granted, it's an extremely rough analogy because when God calls me to do something, he's not calling me to do something that's going to risk putting me at sin. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But when yeah. you're climbing up a mountain, if you have that that rope that's tied around your waist, yeah, you will enjoy the experience much more. You will probably get up the mountain faster. You will take slightly more risk yeah. than you would have in, in reaching and doing and obtaining because you're not paranoid about saying, yeah, but if I screw up once, yeah, I'm just going to fall. And like I said, the analogy breaks in that sense that, you know, God doesn't say, do this and if i try and fail i sin that's that's not the point the point is that eternal security properly understood means i can rest that's why hebrews talks about entering his rest yeah i can be confident and assured that my sins are forgiven right and that i don't have to obsess over things like for example you got to remember that you know sort of throw another log in the bottom of the fire is that if eternal security is not true then legalism matters. All of those little details like can I or can I not eat shrimp, cut my hair, you know, is looking at a woman exactly the same as adultery. All of those little itty bitty things become extremely important because now all of those directly impact my salvation. Whereas yes. understanding eternal security allows me to say, yes, I understand. Looking at a woman with lust is sin, but yeah. that's all I need to know. It's a sin and I repent of it. I don't right. need to worry about categorizing my sin into better, bad, and worse. I just accept that it's all sin and it's all forgiven and it all needs to be repented of. Right. But now I can get on with doing what God wants me to do. Gotcha. Yeah. And um, I'm assuming that eternal security would also um, uh, heal accusations of hypocrisy. I think that it, it helps us accept the idea that hypocrisy is inevitable in one sense, but that it has to be worked on from the other sense. You know, you were asking about does eternal security lead to self-righteousness? It can, you know, if a person has the attitude that says, yes, I'm saved. So it doesn't really matter what I say or what I do. I'm just saved. And that's the end of it. Now that's a bad understanding of salvation in the first place, but that warped sense of eternal security can definitely do that. I think recognizing that true hypocrisy is when a person says one thing, preaches it, but doesn't really believe it and does something different. Bonus, know, I think bonus question. Yeah, sorry, but please finish your thought. No, I, I, I think there's a difference between between being a hypocrite in the sense of sincerely believing one thing, but actually choosing to do something else. Um, that might apply more in the non-eternal security sense. In other words, that which you do is what defines whether or not you are currently saved. Whereas in, in the eternal security understanding, it's recognizing that I am capable of making those mistakes, mm-hmm. even though I have a legitimate relationship with Christ. And he doesn't cast me aside because of my hypocrisy, but he will discipline me for it. Right, right.
This concludes another episode of Beyond Sermons, where we seek Jesus Christ beyond the pulpit. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support, please visit beyondsermons.com to rate and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. God bless and be blessed to be a blessing.